And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other amazing podcasts like No Straight Path, hosted by Ashley Menzies Babatunde. Now, by shedding light on the stories behind the shiny resumes, social media highlights, and job titles, No Straight Path aims to humanize success from the millennial perspective. Featuring guests from all walks of life, No Straight Path aims to inspire conversations around the nuanced perspectives of success. Now, if some of these topics at home, you're going to love this show. Success is all about maximizing happiness. An interview with Esther Agbaji about finding your voice. Success is communal with Yvonne Doc Aswad. Now, if these topics are interesting to you, make sure to check out No Straight Path wherever you listen to your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear me on the Shrimp Tank podcast by iHeartRadio and FAU College of Business, hosted by Jason Hill, Roland Kidwell, and Kevin Cox. We speak all things startup, entrepreneurship, consumer packaged goods, pitching investors, raising money, dilution, and basically anything else you could ever want to know about building a business from the ground up. Welcome back to the Oz Digital Studio. We filmed the Shrimp Tank down here in Boca Raton, Florida, in collaboration with the best university, the FAU. Adam Center for Entrepreneurship. Oh, my God, Kevin, I screwed that one up. Oh, that's all right. Because Roland always saying, it's not FAU, it's Florida Atlantic University. He always corrects me. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's a very exciting week. We got a lot of stuff going on around here. Um, Next week is Global Entrepreneurship Week, an entire week where we celebrate entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And we're kicking that off with a fantastic event called Ignite Florida. Uh, There's a veterans uh, event on Friday evening and pitch competition as well as all day Saturday and I will be there I'd encourage you to come out and see me at the event say hello uh, witness some entrepreneurs who have crafted their pitches and will be pitching for prizes and it's really just a celebration to kick off global entrepreneurship week it's a great opportunity to get out there and meet some fellow founders some great networking opportunities and it's right around the corner from campus at the Boca Raton Innovation Center or Brick, right? Um, you can never find that place. It's hidden. It's like a hidden gem right off the highway. No one realizes it exists. It's yeah. the largest campus in the entire state of Florida. Five thousand people go through those front doors every single workday. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like massive, really great facility, great venue. So we're looking forward to a busy weekend. Um, regardless of the storm, I think we're the only people on this campus today. It's a little bit ominous. So uh, for our guests, you know, it doesn't usually look like this. Uh, FAU is closed. 
just uh, over precaution for the storm, but we're here in the studio rocking out, doing the show. Yes, and we will have the Shrimp Tank podcast booth up at that event, Ignite, all day Saturday. So if you want to get on the Shrimp Tank, come on down, and we're going to be doing live auditions like the old days. We haven't done that in a while, Kevin. Yeah. Remember how much fun that was? And we have uh, outbound microphones, and people can jump into the studio for two minutes, tell us about what they do. It's exciting. It was always fun, and we haven't done that for like a year or two. Yeah, and we can add you to the, the list of actual guests on the show, or we can throw you back. Absolutely. Well, uh, this is your first time tuning in. This is the podcast where we get to interview the best and brightest entrepreneurs from South Florida, really find the do's and don'ts of running a business. If you want to catch all these amazing episodes, you go to our, our website, shrimptankpodcast.com. Of course, on Instagram, at shrimptankboga, or Facebook Live every Wednesday at 10 a.m. So today we got Scott Clary. What's he runs on? his own podcast as well, and it's very similar. He actually interviews a lot of people about you know what they built, of course, and inspiring stories. And also, he's the CEO of Omni Patch. So welcome, Scott. Tell yes. us tell us a little bit about your business. Start things off. Uh, so I appreciate you guys having me on. I appreciate you coming in when it when it does look like a storm outside. But you know, I, I've learned since moving down from Toronto that if it's not category what three four nobody really <laughs> nobody really gets no. too stressed out <laughs> so um i'm still i'm still acclimating to the south florida climate but i appreciate it uh so a little bit about my business so you know um you listed two things there so on me patch so i'm still an operator in a company oh my goodness i'm gonna have to figure out who i have to talk to because i'm going back and forth <laughs> so it's hard you used it to is, like staring straight at i am very individual. used to staring straight but okay so let me just talk into the mic so on me patch which is a cpg company it's a cpg startup um my background's in tech so that's even a little bit of a pivot for me and we can talk about that uh and that's very early stage. That's only about a year and a half old. Uh, raised a two and a half million dollar seed round, taking that to market right now, direct to consumer and through retail. And uh, we're raising another round right now, which is more or less a bridge round because if you raise money, a five to seven million dollar round, which we're trying to raise, is no longer a Series A in 2022, which is interesting. So we're trying to figure that out. Um, so that's going well. And then also uh, Success Story, which is my podcast. So I've built an entire personal brand. If you look on social, it's mostly focused on the podcast. A lot of the content I put out is business podcasts, speaking with entrepreneurs, highly successful individuals. Started that about four years ago. Uh, for the sole reason that I wanted to build a personal brand, I felt a ton of value in that. I felt that that brand could be used to leverage anything I do in the future, business or otherwise. I don't really sell a product per se. Um, I haven't really monetized the podcast to the extent that it could be. But for me, it's looking at the Gary Vee model, looking at the community he's built out. And then you look at all the companies that he can launch against that audience, right? The Vayner Media, Vayner Sports, Vayner Wine, or Empathy Wines, or whatever he does. I was like, I need to do that. So how do I do that? How do I create a brand about stuff that I care about, which is, you know, sales, marketing, business, startup, entrepreneurship, kind of my life. Um, and a podcast seemed to be a great, scalable way to do that. And also day one, nobody really cares who you are. So I wanted to bring in people who people did care about. And that would be a great way to get people to attract and, and, you know, start to listen to what I had to say. And, and the podcast made the most sense as an outlet to do that. So that's sort of a quick Coles notes on, on what I'm working on now. So tell us about the product. What is the product? Yeah. So the product is a transdermal vitamin patch. So what that means is it's a patch that's on your skin, very much like a nicotine patch. Um, that product has been around for a while, obviously, but nobody's really tried to deliver much else through transdermal. And it's, I think I, I, I tried to figure out when I joined this company, because I joined as co-founder and CEO, it was someone else's main idea that I aligned with and I absolutely loved. And I tried to figure out why nobody's ever done this before. I think it's a bit of, it's definitely blue ocean. I mean, the, the TAM or total addressable market for patch products is very low. Uh, it's almost insignificant. I mean, vitamin supplement TAM is huge, but not patch per se. So I think that the TAM is low, it's blue ocean, and uh, people are in the habit of, if they're trying to supplement anything, taking a pill or powder or vitamin or a gummy or something like that. So... Ultimately, the nutrition and supplement health, the wellness industry has been around for a very long time, and it's, it's definitely entrenched. And, and people, you know, you go to your GNC, your vitamin shop, you can get anything in a pillar powder, whatever. So our goal is to change people's habits, which is a big, it's difficult to do. It's extremely difficult to do, but that's a problem we're solving for right now. But ultimately, the reason why we care so much is because a lot of the, the supplements that you buy are filled with so much garbage, a lot of additives. So when you do a transdermal vitamin patch, you get rid of all additives. So it's only active ingredients and you can have it 
roughly uh, an 80 to 90% delivery rate of the active ingredient versus if you take something orally and you're only getting about 30 to 40% of that active ingredient because it goes through your entire digestive system. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. And a lot of those molecules will not make it through the digestive system depending on what they're composed of. So actually, um, that makes makes a lot of sense to me. I'm glad you mentioned, though, kind of user behavior, consumer behavior. That is um, a challenge that you obviously recognize. It can be really difficult to change. You know, we, we worked on a project here with a great interdisciplinary team where the um, computer scientists utilized machine learning so that you could use like an iPhone camera to take a picture of a skin lesion and it could tell with the 99.9% accuracy whether or not it was cancerous, melanoma, right? That's incredible. But yeah. people still trust the dermatologist, I'm assuming. Absolutely, yeah. right? So the problem was they wanted to build an app. I was more on the side of like, we should interview some customers and do like entrepreneurship. And they're like, yeah, we'll just build an app, buddy. <laughs> um, we're engineers and scientists, so we know much more than you. Um, nevertheless, they built a, an app. But you know what people don't do when they see a new scary skin legion or thing? They don't go, oh, my gosh, look at this on my hand. I better get to the app store. No, not yet. Maybe someday in medicine and healthcare. Um, I've seen a few projects that were probably a little bit before their time. But nobody ever does that. The app had seven downloads. It was largely seven. a failed uh, uh, venture. Full yeah. seven. Yeah. That's yeah. rough. And those consisted of largely the development team and their family. <laughs> it's because you got to solve for a trust factor when you're trying to change somebody's habit. And actually, this is something that we're exploring in our marketing right now. So even with a product that requires a, a, a change of habits and a ton of trust, the actual person that would be the best advocate for that product, especially in, in that particular case, would be the dermatologist. Yeah. Would say that, okay, if you, it's funny that you mentioned this because I actually, I worked with Creative Destruction Labs at the University of Toronto for a period of time. Um, I was doing some consulting for startups there and they're all very much similar stories. So highly technical individuals, engineers, yep. doctors that have had this great idea, really no business experience to speak of, but they, they wanted to put this thing out into the world. And of course, these are highly vetted startups after a period of time because so many people apply for these incubator programs, very similar to like a, a Y Combinator or any other incubator. And, um, and they're smart people, but they have a hard time understanding how to find product market fit, how yep. to even get their first 50 customers. So that's some of the stuff that I was actually doing back at, at U of T. But um, I think that the, the one thing that people don't understand is if you don't talk to your customers, even ahead of time, you're just throwing, you're, you know, excuse me, you're throwing shit at the wall and hoping something sticks. Yeah, and, absolutely. And you also mentioned a good point, like timing is everything too in entrepreneurship, right? So is it the right time? So we feel like for our product, it's starting to become the right time and how we're gauging is we are talking to customers. People are very health conscious, very health aware, especially post COVID. Um, and also you do see some other very smart investors going into the space. So some of the competition that has been around for eight years are now just starting to raise money quite easily. So there is some momentum in the space, but it's still difficult. And even in the marketing activities, uh, like we tried influencer marketing, um, even on direct to consumer, like, you know, paid Google, Facebook, CAC is very high. So customer acquisition cost is very, very high. So how do you solve for that? Well, again, trust factor. So we found that even influencers on like TikTok or uh, Instagram, it doesn't work because you can't convey enough information in a 30 second clip or in a static image to actually teach somebody about the product. So now we're working with YouTubers because you need that two to three to four minute explanation of the product Makes to sense. actually bridge that gap. Yeah. Let's go backwards a little bit. I can tell you have so much knowledge around entrepreneurship. This didn't happen overnight. So let's start with your early days. Yeah. When did you first become an entrepreneur? Was it when you were five years old selling lemonade? No. And when, and when, where'd you go to school? <laughs> Where were you brought up? And then kind of tell us your first chapter yeah. after school. So uh, entrepreneurship started after... Uh, so I was always in sales and marketing. Okay. So direct contributor and then leader and then director sales and marketing. Um, I worked for a large telco in Canada as a sales rep and I worked, I sort of moved up the markets and it was in, it was in tech and, and telco sales. Um, then moved into a smaller telco and then got a, a, a more senior role managing sales in a smaller telco company. That company was sold to private equity. Okay. And that's the first time I'm like, shit, I wish I was on the cap table yeah. because I could have made some money. 
but the company was like 10 years old, so it's not going to happen, obviously. But um, I was like, let me try and figure out how to finagle my way into an early stage startup, leveraging what I know, right? And I had a decent amount of sales and marketing experience at the time, uh, not building from zero experience, but enough that I could, and that's actually when I started working with entrepreneurs as a consultant. And I was like, listen, I know enough to be deadly, but um, I, I spread myself too thin. I was working with two other partners. We were trying to figure out the consulting game. It was very and difficult. What, and what time frame was this around? Uh, about five, six years ago. Okay. Five, six years ago when we started doing consulting work. Okay. Um, so that was very difficult, but that was the first foray into entrepreneurship because we're building a consulting firm for ourselves. And then we're also doubling down by working with a whole bunch of pre-revenue entrepreneurs. Which is very hard. Right. It's, I mean, it's exceptionally hard. When, so when you're going after a group of people that are... are have no money. Are pitching yeah, all the time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a terrible customer. I, I do, you know, uh, less consulting, probably just more volunteer because yeah. they are so cash strapped most times that it's like so it was a risk it was like okay so let's negotiate a bit of equity for a fractional CXO position and then we'll work with you for a period of time and we'll have some retainer clients but we're, we're it's all betting like it's all betting it's all it's almost like VC without the money and none of your time and you're putting all your time towards it yeah. so it was hell so we st- so I yeah. stopped doing that yeah yeah I've got a, <laughs> a, a fair amount of small proportions of equity and in, in uh, uh, any uh, quite a few uh, failed businesses <laughs> so, so you know the, the value is absolute zero <laughs> it is very interesting how many people do what you've done though mm-hmm. which is like go in thinking oh I'll just start taking a small piece of every company yeah and then realizing how hard that is because you have to give yourself and your time to every one of the brands, and then eventually it's so hard because most of them never even raise capital, right? So, and they're gone within six months or a year. Exactly. The founders or, are not what you thought. Sometimes, you know, they'll turn to a good business and yeah. a, a kind of a lifestyle company, and I mean, there are some things you can try to do, but, like, your equity really becomes illiquid, right? Yeah. Like, there's not going to be a liquidation event. There's not going to be a clear exit. There's not going to be, there's no open market to really sell those shares. You can try to talk the owner into taking a back, but like they may or may not be incentivized to. So even if it's like, I'd say success, right? Like for the founder, that's great. You know, they're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year maybe, but like it just can't scale. Um, that That is problematic position it's too. It's super problematic. You just got those little shares just sitting there and it's like, okay, but they're not going to sell it. They're not really going to like pay out dividends. If they make more money, they should just give themselves a bonus. Like they are the ones that, doing that is, work. And that version of entrepreneurship to going into consult- like, I mean like I was working with two other people that were good friends that were very senior that also just worked in companies that wanted to jump into building their own thing so we built a consulting firm that was like the easiest way to segue and we went all into it and it was absolute hell and you know you still have your you have your retainer coming in but you we were we had really good retainers from some of the clients but it was still you know you work your eight hour day and we made the mistake of working on site at some of these clients pre-COVID so then you can't be working on other clients you can't even be prospecting you can't be posting on social when somebody's paying you a really good retainer to help them out. So that's when I doubled down on one company. I joined a CRO. That company was acquired. That was my, that was the first real growing a company from a very, very early stage to exit. We were bought by a company called Grass Valley, which is a big broadcast company originally from California, now based in Montreal. And that was a broadcast uh, SaaS company. And that was acquired about two years ago. And that's around the time after that company was acquired that I decided to join uh, on me as CEO. And then what about uh, the personal branding? Were you doing that the whole time? So I started doing that um, when I joined a CRO because I didn't. So the thing was, I had tried consulting and going 100% into entrepreneurship and it sucked and I was burnt out. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I'm like, listen, at least if I, I'm a non-technical individual, I'm a sales and marketing individual, I have some experience. So if I join as a CRO, I know how to take a product to market. I know both on the demand gen for the, uh, the B2C side Plus, I know how to move up market to larger enterprise deals. So I was doing that for a tech company, but I I'm, I'm didn't have enough passion for a particular product to start something myself. I'm not like a product founder. So I'm going to leverage my skills and get a seat at the table in an early stage startup. That works for me. And then at the same time, I'm going to build a personal brand so that in the future, if I choose to launch something, I'll have this audience I can launch it against. But I didn't know what I wanted it to be. So I never started a company myself 
from scratch except for my personal brand outside of the consulting, which I wouldn't really say was a success. Yeah. Well, and that's a, a really kind of nice story. Sounds like some things are starting to fit together. So let's let's uh, let's go back to race fast forward back to the present because I'm still real curious about this product. So yeah. there's an absolutely wide world of supplements, and I'm here to tell you people, and most of them don't do anything except for create very very expensive urine, um, which you know I don't know that there's a market to do anything with that. Um, it literally just usually goes down the toilet. So um, if you're more curious about that, a good resource online is examine.com. A lot of um, meta-analyses, right? Studies of tons of studies where you can see there are a few supplements that, that do make meaningful differences, very much so depending on what your goals are and your effort. So given there's a wide world of that stuff, um, what are you looking at first in terms of the actual supplements to be deployed via this unique and, and kind of newer mechanism. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? It's a CPG company, but what got me excited about this is it's it's a tech company. It's a, it, there's there's innovative IP that really hasn't been done properly yet. So you you made a good point. A lot of supplements are wasteful, and if you if you take any hardcore multivitamin, you'll your pee is neon. Like you you know what happens after. So that is the exact reason why this is a great supplement, a great company for the world. Because when you have uh, when you have a, an active ingredient vitamin, mineral, supplement that has a certain molecular weight, below a certain molecular weight, that passes through your skin at 90% efficacy into your bloodstream. Yeah. So that means that you're not wasting it. So there is a huge market for supplements, but most of that stuff is garbage. And even the fillers are garbage and the fillers are just not great. And if you actually look at peer-reviewed PubMed studies, if you took many supplements that have very... uh, uh, accepted fillers and you took that over a significant period of time we're talking like you know 5, 10, 15, 20 years a significant portion of that that audience or that sample there's carcinogenic effects from taking even very basic fillers over extended periods of time and this is this is documented PubMed stuff so it's not great to put all that stuff into your body if you don't need to especially every single day one, two, three times a day for extended periods so we're trying to solve for that but to your point how do you bring this product to market so we don't want to overcomplicate things also when you're bringing a supplement product to market you don't want to have to deal with the FDA and go through drug approval so you could in theory put any type of drug in this product yeah. as well but that's tons of money and time so like what's the MVP for a product like this so we put together these very basic consumer skews so energy, which is a very big, like, you know, that can be directly with five hour energy or a Red Bull or something like that. And an energy patch, a hangover patch, which would compete with a liquid IV. We have a sleep patch. We have um, a relaxer stress relief, which is almost like a beta blocker. They all have different active ingredients. We have um, an appetite suppressant and a, and a thermogenic, which, which is a weight, weight, weight loss patch. So these are things that people are already buying. Yeah. In, in, in a supplement store. And this is the easiest way to shift a behavior, to just give them something that is, in theory, uh, a little bit easier for them to use. Obviously, there's a mental hurdle there for sure. But um, once they try it, it's easier to use. There's a couple benefits because you do have the increased uh, supplement delivery or active ingredient delivery. And you also have the fact that... Um, it's it's a delayed release for the actual active ingredients. So if I have an energy patch and I put it on the morning, that can last for eight hours versus having to worry about a coffee every two, three hours or whatever. So that's how we take it to market. We, we sort of, we replace things that people are already using in their everyday life. Yeah, those sound like some really reasonable kind of combinations of options. Very popular. Yeah. Um, makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'd love a couple samples we'll send, of the I'll get you energy some. one. Yeah. Uh, I love this. I wake up in the mornings, forget about Starbucks. There's my energy one. Uh, throughout the day, I need something else well, to get clarity. On, yeah. I, put, I throw that patch on there. So then at night, I can't go to sleep because I got anxiety from doing too much all day. I throw the sleep patch on. So Good based on what your Starbucks cup looks like, though, you're just you're gonna need the energy one. Me too. You'll <laughs> have to actually develop like a equivalent to a cup of sugar one. Yes, because it seems like that's what you selected from the menu there today. Make it look like the, the Starbucks logo. There you go. Just yeah. in there, I'm like, oh, it looks like Starbucks. I get that one. Do you, how many do you currently have? How many? How many SKUs? Uh, yeah, we have, we have ten SKUs right ten. now. Yeah. And is there ten. one that just does a lot of that in one? So just one throughout the whole day? Or no, we yeah. don't do that. So we so we have a multivitamin patch, but okay. that's that's just pure multivitamin. So that's a mixture of vitamins you get in 
taking like a just a vitamin, a multivitamin off the shelf, right? Yeah. Did you yeah. listen to what they were? Like one was for sleeping and one was hey. for energy. You can't put all these on. Yeah, but you see these multivitamins? <laughs> I just saw one yesterday. Uh, me and my business partner, we were literally looking on TikTok. There was one that did it all. It was like, I wouldn't trust that. And they're like, I don't. And you I, see what I, I'm talking? I know about. how. I know like, how biology you, you works. Know, is, I'm like, this is too good to be true. I like stop it. Right? And had like two million likes and comments. It works. It works. But it's all BS. You know, some influencers pushing that, and there's a, a big following they have. It's yeah. just commenting that it works, and we know it's not real. Not everything could be like, you know, giving you energy. You know, removing your anxiety. Sex drive. I mean, you see everything. On the no, that's not healthy. If yeah. you're putting all that stuff in yeah. one. Now, what you could do, which is actually, you know, you think about how to take a product to market versus how you could scale a product in the future. I mean, like stuff like almost doing. They have these uh, custom um, supplements that you can now order where you do like tests. I think, I think it's like maybe it's like saliva or blood or stool or some kind of test, and then they give you a supplement or a pill set based on what your body needs. We could do that in the future. That'd yeah. be a lot of fun. Yeah. But I mean, right now, it's just, again, it's solving for yeah. how do we and take I mean, this to market? How do we make significant, meaningful of, revenue? Lots of evidence of success, too, in just those like multivitamins yeah. or vitamins and minerals or even um, servings of vegetables. You know, yeah. one product that has really, really done well is, is AG1, you know, yeah. not a sponsor or anything, but it's kind of They like do a, sponsor a lot of shows, though. Yeah, no, they I, do. <laughs> they, they sponsor do. my show before. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> Surprise! So, I mean, it's a great product that that can make sense. I tend to eat you know, pretty healthy myself, but like when I travel and go on the road, it's yeah. really convenient to make sure you're still getting that stuff. It can be tough to get like fresh fruits, vegetables, all the stuff you need. Like it's just a pain. Like I'm not going to go to Publix and get a whole order and try Look to stuff lazy. it in. A Look how lazy we have become. Yeah, we have become not going to go away the on hotel. a trip and walk into a food store and well, the walk problem. out with a couple of vegetables in six minutes. No, Poor but thing. it's more than that. It's like, I mean, I will you run Amazon to your, your location now. You don't even have to go out. You got Uber. You got, oh But sometimes the mini fridge is tiny or there's not even one in the room. So it's like, well, I can't get anything cold. I will agree with like, you on that. Yeah, it is BS. It's, when it's, you get there and the fridge is like full of stuff, you're like, what is this going to do? You can go to the right. grocery store. but And if you go to Vegas, if you if you even walk close to that, if you walk close to that fridge, something's going to move and you're going to get a charge on your bill. So you have yes, to watch out. You do. You but I will say <laughs> the one market I would. I, I see this really working is the hangover patch. Yes. Because a lot of hotels, you know, that I've been in have little hangover bottles. And I was curious. I drank one and I I know it probably didn't do much, but I was curious. And when you're when you're hurt, you'll do anything. You'll you'll eat that four pound burger, yeah. you know, the next morning, you know, Bloody Mary's. Uh, but when they start placing those in the rooms, you know, logic is out the windows. They don't like, well, if this is going to take this headache away, I'm in. And in places like Las Vegas or Miami. Yeah. It's a huge market for that in these hotels and a lot of profit margin for the hotel themselves. 100%. So you got to figure out, I mean, this is a, a, an entrepreneur problem, right? Like, how do you take the product to market? Sure. So we first started, and, and also I had to understand that I'm not, I'm coming from a tech background, so I'm great at sales and marketing, and I'm also great at hiring people that yep. sort of... Are, are great at things that I'm not great at, which is probably the most important skill as any sort of CEO or founder, right? How do you hire somebody that, you know, complements your skill set, isn't just a carbon copy of you? Um, and I, I found a great trade marketer, somebody that's worked in CPG for a significant period of time, a great VP sales who's worked in CPG for like 15 years. Yep. So... That being said, found a great team, but um, now we're trying to solve for the fact that it is blue ocean, and blue ocean means customer acquisition is very expensive. So we're actually slowing down on the direct to consumer side and focusing more on the retail side. Yeah because it takes <laughs> roughly about the same effort, maybe marginally more to convince a buyer from a CVS or a Publix or any sort of store to take a shot on us as it does to convert uh, somebody who's coming to our website for the first time, sure. who's just a consumer. So, I mean, that's another great entrepreneurial lesson. Like, how do you take your product to market? You have to test a whole bunch of different things. And if it doesn't work, then what's your next strategy, right? We could do a BD strategy where we're partnering with all these different hotels and, and, and whatnot. We haven't done that yet, just bandwidth. That's really it, but it's smart. Just follow all the kids at FAU College, all the, the frat party. Yeah, that's true. All yeah. of a sudden, give all the, the fraternity brothers all the patches, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, on the reorders keep coming along. But again, that's direct to consumer. We're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from one of our sponsors when we get back. We're going to jump to our hot or not segment of the show. 
Look, Google is smart, but owls are wiser. Instead of spending an hour sifting through ads and clickbait BS, get the answers you need from qualified experts immediately. What is owl? Think a best of edition of Google, Cameo, and Clubhouse, all rolled into one app. Owl is an app where you can get advice through secure, private, live voice calls tailored specifically to your questions and all in real time. Need marketing or PR advice? Owlet. App or software development? Owlet. Healthcare, investing, social media, grant writing, education? Owlet. Coming soon. Owl, one-on-one with sports legends, singers, actors, celebrities, and more in real time. That's super exciting. Who? Owl. That's O-W-W-L-L. Two W's for twice as wise. Two L's because you'll really love it. Owl. Connect. Learn. Grow. Now available for Apple or Android. Download Owl today on the App Store on your device. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shrimp Tank. As a reminder, check out all these amazing episodes up on our website, shrimptankpodcast.com. And if you want to speak to Scott himself, he will be on the Owl app next week. He's going to download it, become an expert. And how cool is this? We're the only podcast out there that you listen to this show, and then you can connect to them one-on-one over an audio call, pick their brain in more detail about the project you're working on. And Scott has so much knowledge about entrepreneurship, so 100% worth finding him on Owl. Search for his name, Scott Clary, and uh, connect, of course, one-on-one. So, Scott, this segment of the show, it is called Hot or Not. We're going to ask you a question and jump in why you believe it's hot or not based on your experience. Let's okay. go. So, let's talk about uh, raising capital for a second. Look, look at Kevin laughing. He knows I have no question ready at all. He's like, where's he going? Where's he going? Oh, mess it up. Uh, no, no, he's really messing me. So, raising capital. You know, do you think it is hot or not uh, to go out and just spend 50% of your time just going to all these pitch competitions because we see so many startups and that's all they do. It's just like pitch competition, pitch competition, pitch competition. And it's a hard balance, you know, when you're running a company as the CEO and then just always fighting to get more money versus focusing on your consumers, the marketing strategy. So just pitch competition in general, you know, 50% of your time plus hot or not. That's not hot at all. So explain why, because a lot of entrepreneurs that are startups, they seem to like, that's all they do. They master the pitch and it's like, it's such fluff then behind the scenes, right? Yeah. So raising money is a full-time job. Yeah. I would say it's more than 50% of your time. It's very, I, I hate pitches as yeah. well. I don't like pitch events. I like, so I use a tool called Brieflink and then I'll use some sort of tool to, and I'll use like Crunchbase and I'll find investors that have invested in the same category as me. And then I'm running campaigns against those investors and I'll understand at what stage I'm at, how much money I'm looking to raise. If those family offices, high net worth individuals, VC groups yeah. have invested similar amounts of money at the same stage in similar kinds of companies and that's what I do to raise money only because I like that yeah. because okay, so often people go to the pitch competitions yeah. and there's like five investors in the crowd of a hundred right and then the wrong people for your brand and then yeah. they're just giving you bad advice they're like oh well you you know I really don't see the solution you're solving or the problem right and and you're going after the right ones that see it clearly the right part know the category and you're being proactive versus it's actually funny when it comes to marketing everyone says don't just guerrilla market and throw yeah. crap everywhere, but when it comes to pitching, that's what everyone ends up doing because it favors the angels and the VCs. Yeah. But you're doing it a different way. You're saying, no, this this makes no sense. I'm going to do the same marketing method that that we've always been taught. Target niche market and target. target. You have 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 an ICP, have an ideal customer profile for your investor. Yep. Have everything lined up the same way you target a customer. You're not like you said. Yep. Because it's just a waste of time. So. Yes. And everyone listening, we, we recently had Raislink on, and, and that's exactly what they do. They created AI technology to point the the startup founder to the right investor, so waste less time for everyone. And also raise more money than you need, because you can even you can tell the investor who's putting money in. They don't want you distracted. Yeah. So raise more money so you have two years runway so that you aren't looking to, to raise money again in six months. Yeah. And any any qualified investor that knows what they're doing will not want you to be distracted raising money again in six months. No. Kevin, yeah. I, I raise, made, through, I raise, made through that question. Look at that. Raise more and raise faster right now given current economic uh, conditions. Some of that, uh, those funding have already started to dry it up. So I'd encourage people to do, you know, around, they may have said six months from now, it's like, mm, mm, yeah. just do it now if you can. Um, some of these startups are in a really strong position and they can they can do that they have follow-on investors and it's like well let's do it now just in case you know can i add um, an, an addendum to that an, an sure. appendix whatever uh, you can also use an investment banker 
which is probably going to cost you about 10k a month for a max of up to about 50 to 60k. It depends on obviously where you're at in your company, but if you can, outsource it because they have the relations. And I don't think people think about that unless somebody said use an investment banker. But if you can allocate 60K plus a percentage of your raise, it's like zero time on you. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Typically for a little bit later stage to have those kind of resources. But if it's an option, it's yeah. definitely an option worth looking at. Now, one caveat and alternative perspective when it comes to pitch competitions. Um, I generally agree, except there's one case in which I'd absolutely disagree and go the other the way if you're a student and particularly cash strapped pitch competitions should be oh, yeah. right in your wheelhouse all the time all day all over the country pitch competitions have become a reasonable way to raise money for a startup particularly for college students efesc is away $240,000 tcu $100,000 these are big prizes these are non-dilutive hey hey that's that is you good. might be able to yeah. win a hundred grand and give up no equity yeah, they're competitive, they're time-consuming, they're tough, but a great school like FAU with a great entrepreneurship ecosystem will cover your costs if you become a finalist because you make us, me in particular, look good when you go out there and compete and win um, against some of these mm, schools that are perceived oftentimes as more elite. You know, We had, had a guy out in TCU in, and they split them up into kind of brackets like the, uh, the March Madness, you know? In his bracket, he was with um, MedTech from John Hopkins, Harvard, and uh, somebody from... Um Southern California as well, Stanford. And then it's like, and FAU, not bad, right? So uh, we like to do that. I encourage students to do that. That's a great opportunity for students. If you have the right type of technology or solution, many of the ones you alluded to, sometimes it's the folks that I like to say do entrepreneurship backwards. They build the thing and then they're like, now I got to find some customers. I got to find that Dr. Cox guy. He'll know what to do. And it's like, you already built the thing. Ah, um, that's okay. Depending on the type of technology, pursue grants. Okay, the National Science Foundation supports innovation to an extent that largely overlooked by all media in the entire country. But um, some of the most successful businesses on the planet are built on platforms developed by NSF. I don't know, like the internet and things like that. So they do fund basic research, particularly innovative research, and that is in the form of grants. SBIR. SCTR. These are reserved for specific technologies. You have to make sure you're a fit. You could do um, our NSF I-Corps program that we host here at FAU. Sign up for that if that sounds like you. Learn more about the process and going to get those grants. Grants, again, non-dilutive funding. And there's a lot of money out there in that space as well. However, it's reserved. Like, you may or may not be a fit. It is also time-consuming. But let me be the first to tell you, once you do the one grant, if you do a really good job, all the other ones are just fancy cut and paste jobs. I write grants myself. I pulled in, as of the end of this year, $2.2 million to FAU in the last five and a half years. And it was really hard to write the first couple. Now, not so much. That's good advice, yeah. So, let me ask you another hot or not, getting back to that. So, you did try. It sounds like you're still doing. Um, you're doing a little bit of both at this point. See which one's going to be more successful. Direct to consumers. So, subscribe model mm -hmm. hot or not very hot I mean it helps everything so you have you have you have less churn you have uh, you have a higher LTV lifetime value of your customers so churn is you stop your customers from leaving lifetime value you're increasing the dollar value every customer gives you also if you have predictable revenue that can help your valuation if you're going to raise money. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we do do subscriptions. Kind so of yeah. a setup question, <laughs> yeah. right? I knew the answer to that one, but it's good to point out for founders out there, if your model's well suited for it, supplements are, you're generally going to use the same amount of XYZ each kind of month, right? If you need energy each workday or certain days of the week, or maybe you need it on the weekends, because uh, that's when you really like to turn, get loose. Um, Hopefully you don't have a subscription for weekly hangover <laughs> patches. Yeah. 
yeah. Like, I don't want that. You can, that you can no, have that's a, why I use the energy yeah, example. Yeah. That, that'd be a lot of, um, yeah. maybe make some changes there. Hydration is key too. True. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like to tell my students those so fantastic and phenomenal for business owners, not always great for consumers. Uh, so, you know, I like to teach them how to be smart consumers too. And not everything you want to have is on a subscription. There is a subscription for anything you could possibly it's imagine. getting out of control though. Yeah. From it's boxers to it's socks. Like, there are certain things I just don't need to be on subscription. Just go to Amazon and set your subscription. No, that and you're dress good to go. sock company that did an astonishing raise. It's like, okay, that might be like a cute gift, but it's like, okay, it's not too expensive. $19.99 a month. You get some real fun dress socks. It's like, okay, but then four years from now, you ran out of room in your drawers and you spent $2,000 on socks. What? Hey, no. People like their socks. Can I, can I and also? Feet. There's a lot of people who love feet out there. Kevin, come on. If come you're going to do subscriptions, I, I, I stand behind this because I came from a software world and we had we had subscriptions as part of our software, obviously. Um, but make it as easy to unsubscribe as it is to subscribe. Because I think consumers are just over the BS of oh, yeah. getting locked into subscription that they can't get out of. Am yeah. I the only one that feels like every time I unsubscribe, I get added to 10 more somehow? Like, my emails just don't <laughs> stop. I cannot unsubscribe. Yeah, I, I've tried. I think, I've given up. I think there's a, a little thing on the back end that's like, as soon as you click unsubscribe, it clicks, this email's now for sale yes. <laughs> to everyone. Something. Like, well, I didn't mean emails. I, I meant actual it. subscription. But yeah, yeah. also, also yes. emails. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you meant. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what about, you know, partnerships with some of these these box companies like Boxy Charm was on our podcast, and then we also had Single Swag. Single Swag is doing like fifty thousand boxes a month, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, it's hard to get into the boxes. It sounds like it's a great marketing strategy. Like, ooh, I'm friends with that individual, and I know your friends, yeah. the CEO Boxy, the past CEO of Boxy Charm. I know he exited, but like, is it really worth it? It's like influencer marketing at the day. You have to play to pay to get into that box, and it yeah. might not be worth it at the end of the day. So, is it hot or not to partner with these mm. types of box companies? In your opinion? I think it's hot as long as it doesn't take away from too much of your other marketing activities. Yeah. So we are in boxes. We went into yeah. we went into Ipsy okay. that actually purchased BoxyCharm. Okay. Uh, we went into Healthbox, but that was I, I told my my CMO just shoot an email. Like, don't spend a lot of time on this because it's like a it's a brand awareness play. It's not a performance marketing play. Right. And some of the boxes we paid to be in, some of the boxes paid us, some of the boxes we sort of broke even. But it can it's sort of like a I classify that as not sales or marketing, but I classify that as BD, as business development. Same thing as if you're getting into a hotel. Is that you're, it's not really a sales or marketing play. Like some hotels, you'll pay to get in. Some yeah. hotels, they'll pay you. It, it's unclear. Which yeah. is very important for everyone listening to understand. Because so often we're like, oh, if I could just get in that box, they're sending 50000 them out. Yeah. I'll make a, a dollar on each one. But it's like it doesn't work like that. Right? No, it doesn't. Like they know that number. And they're not going to let you get in there. And then all of a sudden it's all free branding, uh, of course, for your for your company. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You just got to think about your whole business model. Somebody had bought me one of those like men's kind of basically in my demo boxes where they just send you cool products yeah. and they were cool products and I'm sure those products had to be steeply discounted to get in there and I just couldn't understand like I, I enjoyed and thought a lot of the products were very cool that was that's what they were designed to curate and do yeah. this and that but I'd get them and be like okay but this company has like three products and I have this one I'd never buy the other two or some companies might only have one product it's like okay but now i have the thing like i i I also have the awareness but i I have the thing and you probably didn't make any good money because you had to beg and plead to like get in the box Mm -hmm. to get your thing out there and it's like how's that gonna work right whereas something like yours you can have recurring revenue repeat customers hey that batch was really good where do i get more of these it makes a lot more sense with the business model. These other ones are just like, yeah, this is a really fly money clip, and that's all you make. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay. It's, you know, it's carbon. It's and you don't own the customer either, which is the biggest thing, right? You don't own yeah. the customer information, no email address, no communication. And it's like, I don't need a, a money clip subscription. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, I, one's going to do it, pretty much. And now I have the one. So it's just keep in mind, business models are complicated, and each little piece has to fit together with all the other pieces. And that's what makes it tricky. Nothing is independent. And you said something very important. You don't own the information. And mm-hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs uh, put all 
all their eggs in one basket. They go all in on Instagram, and all of a sudden, the account gets hacked. And then, and then what do they do? Yeah, right. They don't own the info. So I think a lot of people are realizing going back to those traditional strategies, building an email list. Yeah. Right. So always you have a newsletter going out, and should one you know go down like like Instagram? And remember when Facebook did that that time and went down? Like people were crying that day. They're like, "What am I going to do? I can't get in." I was like, "Really? It's like your 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 business is impacted that much? It shouldn't be. It should never be." Goes down. But we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from one of our sponsors. When we get back, we we'll jump to our plead the fifth segment of the show. Insurance companies, it's time to step out of the past and into the future with Oz's latest solution, Rainmaker. Reduce 10 years of human work to merely days using intelligent automation to process contract and claim entries. Increase job satisfaction, productivity, accuracy, data insights, and ROI while decreasing the time spent on projects. It's a no-brainer. Follow the hashtag MakeItRain on LinkedIn and Twitter or visit followoz.com forward slash Rainmaker to learn more. That's F-O-L-L-O-W-O-Z dot com forward slash R-E-I-N-M-A-K-E-R. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Shrimp Tank. As a reminder, catch us on Instagram. Watch all these clips every week. Ash Shrimp Tank Boca. Of course, we're on TikTok even these days. So, Scott, on this segment of the show, it's called Plead the Fifth. You can only plead the fifth one time. And after that, you have to you have to figure out a way how to answer those questions, okay? So, you know, you've been on a lot of podcasts, mm-hmm. right? What is what is What was the worst one you were on that you just, like, had such to... a horrible experience? I can't. <laughs> oh, well, you oh. can plead the fifth on the first question. Oh. No. Really and why it. was it so bad? What did they do? Was it salesy? I mean, you do see a lot of podcasts that they invite you to come on. And it's like, oh, was this a pitch to get me to buy the product or this to share my journey? Right. Actually, do you, do, is, is not naming a name pleading the fifth? Hey, you have to answer. I can't tell you. You could, you could, you have put your. All right. Because I don't want to throw someone under the bus. That's not fair to them. I, I support creators. So I'll have to. Don't make me throw anyone else under the bus. And I, I will plead the fifth on the name. Okay. But that's it. Okay. Um, but uh, the worst podcast that I've been on, the per- yes, to your point, the person was trying to sell me on, on coaching services before and after the show. Yeah. And that it was, it was absolutely like cringe. It was cringe. And, uh, I I get that everybody has a hustle, but it was before the show too. So he was like teeing me up for the fact that he's going to try and close me on a coaching service. And it like, it was like a, like, I don't, I don't dislike Tony Robbins, but it was like a Tony Robbins esque coaching. So I'm pretty sure it was like an affiliate or something. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, I'm going to use this as a, as a hard sales, but I'm not against somebody building rapport on a podcast. And if there's something that comes up in the conversation, you're like, Oh, that makes sense. This is actually what I do as well. Of but course. you could tell there was no thought. That. We see that a lot today with, I think 2 million plus podcasts, you know, there's so many that are learning like, Oh, you can use a podcast to build your business. And then it's kind of like when LinkedIn, all of a sudden you started getting all the bots coming out. Yeah. Sending messages out and then people are just doing it incorrectly and they don't realize like that's not the point, you know, of a show. You know, let it naturally happen. Build There's two rapport. people talking. Yeah. Be normal. Just be a normal person. And trust, if you're a normal person, you build rapport, you will get business in some way or shape or form or a connection or something that you need. And then to piggyback that, have you had people kind of, you know, try to steal your likeness? You see that with a lot of shows, yeah. right? Oh, you have a big personal brand, right? And they're like, oh, if I get them on there, and then and then they're over posting, right? You're like, yeah. you know, you saw that the last guest, they did two posts. But then with me, they're like, there's 25 posts out there. So and there's it one really in particular. because yeah. you signed rights to share your, your, your posts and not your post, your, the podcast itself. And we see that a lot as well. It was like three, three or four tweets per day yeah, with hard. clips. And I'm like, bro, like I retweeted like the first two or three. And I'm like, I, I can't keep up with you. You post more content than I do. <laughs> and I'm like, you gotta chill but a little I mean, Gary will say, who cares? Let him, you know, super fan, let it, let yeah. it ride. Right. Yeah. I mean, you just got to pace it out a little bit. Yeah. Super fan's fine. Un- uncomfortable, though. Yes. I, I know what you mean. All right. So for those listeners who've been listening in a while, they know um, I, I work with so many startups uh, like you did at one point in time as well. And it's actually in excess of 500 at this point, if you can believe it. Um, so I have some fantastic stories. Um, and I like to stitch them into my teaching. They Students say, you know, I got a story for everything. Mm. Because at this point, I really do. 
Um, based on that, and, and my knowledge, and now learning this about you, I know that you probably at some point in time worked with some ridiculous startups. Just a crazy idea, or a terrible idea, but maybe it was in the early days of consulting, and you were like, well... Client's a client. You never really know if they're going to be successful, <laughs> even though this one seems ridiculous. What's the most ridiculous startup you uh, you worked with? The most ridiculous startup that I've worked with. I think the most ridiculous startups, the one in particular that I've worked with was somebody that was trying to be everything. So he was trying to start a media company, like a legacy media company. And he was also trying to start a marketing agency. And he was also trying to start some sort of incubator, like simultaneous. He thought that day one, he could start like, I don't know, some Bloomberg-esque startup incubator from his parents' house, <laughs> and it was just yeah, so a lot. That's I've had some similar to that. Oh, you know, not always, but I, I go even further when I'm instructing entrepreneurs. It's not even just like one concept you want to start on. You want to start with one customer, one channel of distribution. Um, you know, I've had other startups say, you know, I have eight clearly defined customer segments, and I'm like, that's great. It sounds a more like zero, but. Um, yeah. What's the best one? Because we'll start there. We don't want to do eight. I remember somebody's pitching to get into Tech Runway, and I ask him, I, I, you know, I don't understand exactly your value proposition. And he looked at me a straight face and said, well, that's probably because I have 11 distinctive value propositions. <laughs> and I was like, gotcha. That's an I'm, issue. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Whoa. Like, well, what's, so I just, you know, I mean, it's, went straight back and said, well, what's the best one? Yeah. <laughs> like, none of the ideas. None of the ideas, I mean, candidly, like building a marketing agency, building a, a news org, they're all very difficult things. Like, there's not things that I would recommend. I mean, it's very saturated. <laughs> so, already, you're not starting off on the best. But if you wanted to, if you are passionate about marketing, you want to build a marketing agency, and that's what you feel like your calling is, okay, fine. But, like, hyper focus on what's the first iteration of that, like, to your point, what's the first iteration of the marketing? Because you're not going to be a brand, an SEO, a face, a social, uh, a video market. Like, you're not going to be um, experiential marketing. Like, you're not going to do all these things. You're going to hyper focus, yeah. and you're going to get those clients That's from one particular activity in marketing. Yeah. And I encourage people who do want to go to marketing or digital marketing, I, what I've witnessed is the evolution of specificity and kind of, um, you know, very, very specific solutions, yeah. right? So I tell people, consider it one tiny niche specific industry. Be the best at that. Make sure it's a national one, whatever it is. We've had somebody on the on the show that built a, a an extremely successful businesses and really um, their initial niche and corner was like dental offices. There's enough dentists and now they know that so well. It's industry specific. It's solution specific. They have this niche, and as digital marketing has evolved, it's like uh, it's totally different strategies and techniques and services and software suites that you're going to need based on the kind of business. You can't be a one one hat. Like, yeah, we digital market for every service. It's like, okay, then you probably don't do it very good for any service or product. Like, mm -hmm. it's going to continue. I predict to continue on that route where it's like you will want to hire someone who knows how to market a dental office explicitly and if they're the best in that and that's all they do there's enough demo offices out there trust yeah. me okay let's let's talk about failures for a moment every entrepreneur goes through situations in their past they regret obviously we hope it makes you stronger in the future but mm -hmm. last six years looking back like what was what was the when it comes to a failure financially right what what was something that you did and you placed that bet you know, incorrectly, you lost a lot of money. It could have been a marketing, you know, objective that you were going down, uh, like influencer marketing, for example. Mm -hmm. But every every entrepreneur always remembers, like, oh, I really screwed that up. What was it? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, unlimited things that I've done have been screw ups. <laughs> um, we, we all do them. It's, if we it's go part through, of the process. like, if I think of like the biggest things that we've screwed up, and I've screwed up um, when I started at On Me, we had a, a fifty thousand dollar a month. Uh, agency we were working with that was shit it was yeah. horrible i mean that's a lot of money um so that got you say agency for marketing it was a marketing agency to get the company so yeah so that was a yeah, bad call right. i inherited it 
so it's not a hundred percent, but it's still like That's I let it run for a period of time. So that, Fifty thousand dollars. That was a lot for a startup. For a pre-revenue, geez, oh yeah, God. it was not good. Um, so that was really bad. Good for them. Um, yeah, yeah, they do well. I see their company. <laughs> I see their company get-togethers and their and their trips. They're, they're doing quite good. Um, what else? Oh, man. I haven't, thank God, I haven't had a lot of, uh, like, I mean, because, you know, I'm still, I'm still young, so I haven't had a ton of, like, angel investment failures. Yeah. The, talk to me in a few years. There's some money there that will not be there anymore in a few years. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, if you talk about personal financial, a funny one, which is not so funny, because I was, like, very broke at the time. I had put, <laughs> I had put $10,000 into Bitcoin. And it, and I didn't actually lose it because the market, it was like not a cyclical thing that caused me to lose the money. My account was hacked. Oh. And then, so what was happening? It was like early days Bitcoin and they somebody hacks accounts and they do a whole bunch of buys and sells to try and manipulate the market. And they do it with other people's accounts with active money on it. So my account went from like $10,000 to $0 in like 24 hours with BS trades. So at the time, that was like all the money I had. So that was pretty significant, but that's not really a business issue. It's just a... And the early days, that might have been worth a million yeah, dollars. So, a so that was annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah, those are probably, like those are two notable. I mean, every company, like even even my last company, Excitem, uh, the software company that was sold, uh, because of COVID, it wasn't really, uh, we didn't lose money on it, but we iterated on a product like four times throughout COVID. So we had, we had, um, there was a couple different products we had. We had a polling product that was basically like, it was something that you could use for like classroom polling and, and, and whatnot. But we could also use that for, uh, we could use that same product. We could repurpose it for news and broadcast. So we were, and then we launched this huge campaign to get it into stadiums for like halftime shows right before COVID hit. And we lost about five. $500,000 in RFPs because we spent all this time and energy hiring an enterprise sales rep to sell it into stadiums across the U.S. and then COVID hit and they're like, we're not. That was hard to predict. Though. That was a it was. in a lifetime yeah. situation that, you know, certain business, like if you run a gym, like what are you going to do? Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. So then we actually pivoted and then what we did is we took all the products that we had and then we ended up creating um, a cloud solution for broadcasters to actually run remote production. Right. So that was a nice little pivot and segue, which allowed us to actually sell the company. So it actually worked out well. But I mean, that was a lot of stress at the time. And most importantly, you pivoted. Yeah. A lot of entrepreneurs complain, don't pivot, and then go out of business and then blame it on others. Yeah. Well, we, we're the stadiums were not happening. So we, yeah. <laughs> we felt like we had to figure something out. All right. So what is your long-term um, goals and, and preference for uh, the the company you're working on now with the supplements, right? So you're going to build this. It's going to be your your legacy. Build it. Yeah. Keep it forever. Um, do you hope to exit as soon as possible? You want to go for an IPO at some point in time? So what are you hoping for or angling for? I know it's early, but... So you have investors, so you can't keep it forever because <laughs> the investors will not be happy. <laughs> um, we will probably look at an acquisition event in the range of 70 to $100 million in annual revenue. That's probably when we'll start looking because the, the investors, they, they're, they have built successful businesses before, so they're not looking for a small exit. So we'll look for some multiple on that. And that's when I think that we can start to, at that point is when larger players will start to notice us. So... Yeah. 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 And there's plenty of those in that space. I mean, that, that is probably, familiar. I'm trying to do that in five or six years. It's not going to be easy, but it's not impossible if things go the way we want them to go. Well, that would be extremely impressive. Um, I tell the founders that I work with is typically like, you can do this pretty fast. You can be an overnight success in seven to 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Takes seven, seven to, to 10, 10 years. years. Exactly. That's an overnight success. That's an overnight oh, success. No one wants to wait seven. So We're on TikTok. Time. It's like I would say one year. We want to. We want to be in a Lamborghini in one year. Come on, Kevin. No one wants to waste seventeen. Now listen, man. That's, no, but the thing is, like, okay. So you talk about seventy to hundred million, which is a big business, yeah. but you're heavily diluted. You're heavily diluted at that point as well. Yeah, but most people don't see that. Yeah, you're, so you're it's not like, on ten to thirty percent at that point. Yeah, at, at most, at yeah. most, yeah. depending on how much money you raise to get there. But the goal is, if we do retail well, then we can achieve that. Yeah, because a retail order can start 
very easily be one, two, three, four, five million dollars per retail outlet. Like per, like for a Walmart, five million dollars is not a big retail order. Speaking of, what is the um, what's the shelf stability of the product? Four years. Okay. Oh, that's nice. good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Awesome. Well, well, Scott, thank you for joining us here on the Shrimp Tank today. For our audience listening, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they can check out any of the social at Scott D. Clary, uh, scottdclary.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, scott at scottdclary.com if they want to email me questions. I read everything. So. And if they want to talk to you, they go right to Owl, of course, now. Now they go to Owl, we'll yeah. follow you up there later today. Well, everyone listening, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday at 10 a.m. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank When it's take a swim, only option is to win In the murky water, not a thought of giving in I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank When it's take a swim, only option is to win In the murky water, not a thought of giving in Welcome to the shrimp tank Want to put it all together, this is big things Doing big things, chasing big dreams Yeah, it's all real, this life's all that it seems All the chicks scream, all the dudes yell This just what I do and I do it well With the flow fresher than the new shoe smell Going through hell, well homie keep going You know the saying, you gon' reap what you sow in so, so I don't chase girls, I just chase dreams Play the same game, but we ain't in the same league Running a campaign, roadie 2016 Like on the die, put me in charge. I'm a general from the front, I'ma lead the charge. Like a federal fell in my lap, never. Going hard as ever, the results match the effort. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank. Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank. When it's take a swim, only option is to win. In the murky water, not a thought of giving in. I've been feeling like a shark in a shrimp tank. Big fish, small pond in the shrimp tank. When it's take a swim, only option is to win. In the murky water, not a thought of giving in. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out.
I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeletemecom slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 